0: Uh, class Wisdom for Wives won't be at the same time. So if you want to come early next Sunday evening for healing school, we would invite you and encourage you to uh, take part in that meeting if you are a wife or want to be wife <laughs> or whatever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's true, and because it's true, we declare that all of our needs are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that as we give, it's given back to us. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, do men give unto our bosom. We thank you that the windows of heaven are opened unto us because we're tithers, and you are pouring out a blessing upon us that there's not room enough to receive. Thank you, Father, for making all these things so. Thank you for a spectacular increase in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. I want to talk to you tonight about the spoken word. Luke 17, verse 11, and it came to pass as he, Jesus, went through Jerusalem, or went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus considered mercy to be healing. Now, all they asked for was mercy. Jesus could have sent money up the hill, he could have identified some other way to be a blessing or a help to them. But when they called out for mercy, Jesus spoke healing words Go show yourself to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. I'm not sure how, much, how far they got away or how far away they got. But it indicates it didn't happen so, uh, instantly. It wasn't something that took place immediately. But they were cleansed as they went. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So apparently he's glorifying God from afar on his way back to Jesus and gets to where Jesus is and falls down at his feet. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God, save or accept this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. Now, I may be reading a little bit into this story, but it seems to me that Jesus is telling them when he says, arise and, um, well, how did he say it? Thy faith has made thee whole. That's an indication to me that he got something more than the other nine did. We see in other places, there's at least one other place in the Gospels where it talks about the maimed being made whole. Well, leprosy eats away at your body parts. And there's no way to know, but we would expect that if he's been a leper for any period of time, there are certain parts of his flesh that had been eaten away by this dreaded disease. I like to think that Jesus restored him and made him whole, replaced whatever had been eaten away by this leprosy. Now, I can't prove it, but you really can't disprove it either. The way Jesus talked to him implies that because of his action that was unlike the nine, he got something that they didn't get. But at any rate, notice how their healing came. Jesus simply cried out and said, go show yourself unto the priests. Now, the Old Testament law concerning leprosy, it gives very specific and detailed instructions on what was uh, the procedure if a leper was cleansed. And I can see that uh, being made plain the way that it is in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus uh, for one very big reason, and that is those uh, those that contracted leprosy were forbidden from general mingling with the public, so to speak. They went to leper colonies or leper places where nobody else would go because it was such a highly contagious disease. And so you can well understand that if a person's leprosy was not visible, even if they had been known as a leper before, they could just say, well, I'm, I'm healed, I'm clean. But there was an inspection that the priests were responsible for when a leper was cleansed and that's what jesus is saying when he said go show yourself to the priest he's saying go fulfill the law of moses and the instruction that the law gives about when a leper is cleansed which would include a thorough examination by the priest an offering of a turtle dove or, or some type of animal as a sacrifice and as an atonement so when jesus says go show yourself to the priest He's literally saying you are healed. Now when they turned to go to the priest they didn't look any different. When they went their way on uh, to go to the priest they didn't feel any different. But it says that as they went they were cleansed. I'm not sure exactly how that happened. But I know it was the power of the word that they took hold of by their faith or through their faith that brought them to wholeness, or at least freedom from the leprosy. Now turn with me to John chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 46. It says So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, error, or else my child dies. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And he was now going down... As he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, thy son liveth. Then he inquired of them the hour when his son began to amend. And they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth. And he himself believed and his whole house. Now, when Jesus says, go your way, your son lives, it's in response to the man wanting jesus to come and lay hands on his son now that phrase in uh what is it verse 48 where jesus says except you see signs and wonders you shall not believe except you see signs and wonders you shall not believe apparently and you judge this for yourself because there's not clear-cut evidence one way or the other But apparently, as I read this, it seems to me that Jesus is saying, you're looking for something to happen before you believe. But Jesus knew that that's not the way faith works. Faith works by believing before you see. Believing in your heart according to what the Word says, not according to what you see or feel. And so Jesus, trying to instill faith in the man so that his son will live, If you think about it, if Jesus had left with the guy and walked down to his house, his son very well may have died before he got there. And unless he can get the father in faith, there's nothing Jesus can do about it. You remember in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus went to his own hometown of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, telling about the same story, tells us what he preached. He preached that he was anointed of God to heal the sick. To bring recovering of sight to the blind, to deliver those that are infirmed, and so forth. But it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus could in his hometown of Nazareth do no mighty work. Doesn't say he wouldn't, it says he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work, except he laid his hands on a few folks with minor ailments and got them healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Now, folks, I gotta tell you, it seems to me that in John chapter 4, concerning the nobleman's son, Jesus is trying to avoid the same results with the nobleman that he got in Nazareth. Because if he goes down with the, with the father, if he goes down to where the son is, if Jesus could not in Nazareth do any mighty work because of their unbelief, the father's not in belief. He's not in faith in any way. And so Jesus wouldn't have been able to do anything for his son either. See, it looks like on the surface that perhaps Jesus is, putting the father down except you see signs and wonders you won't believe. But Jesus is smart enough to know that if he can't get the father in faith, whether he's there present or not, nothing's going to happen for him. So what does Jesus do? He speaks the word. He says, go your way. Your son liveth. Now the, the uh, Greek translation on this or the literal translation on this is um, an either or situation from the language and the use of the words where Jesus said go your way your son lives you can't tell which of these two ways that it would have been Jesus could be saying go your way and your son will live or he could be saying go your way your son is fine we don't know which one but the nobleman believed what Jesus said so, whether he believes that his son has already been uh, touched by the power of God, or if he's saying, or if his attitude toward this is, if I go, then my son will be made well. Since it's a faith proposition, it seems to me that it's more an action on his part. His part is to go. Jesus said, go your way, and your son will live. So he does he goes his way and he meets a servant that's coming from his house saying to him your son lives then the man found out what time that it worked and he found that it was the same time that Jesus spoke the word now here are two examples where the word of God was spoken miraculous results came not as a result of laying on of hands and laying on of hands is the primary way that Jesus did minister healing there's more about in the four gospels there's more Uh, spoken of jesus laying hands on the sick than any other way that he ministered it's certainly a valid way to minister it's not the only way but it's one way and it seems in jesus case it was the primary way that he that he ministered healing to people but here you've got two examples of the word of god bringing miraculous results miraculous results in healing without the physical touch let's look at a couple more turn with me now to Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 17 and it came to pass on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were doctors and Pharisees uh, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was present to heal them Notice the healing power of God is present when Jesus is teaching. Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But it also says the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that word salvation that he uses is an all inclusive term. It means to rescue, deliver, to make safe, to make sound and to heal. So the the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a a bed, a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Now, folks, think about this crowd. This crowd won't let this guy in. They tried the doors first the house is packed tight with people and nobody will let this sick guy in so they went up to the roof they took the tiles off the roof and let him down with ropes I guess verse 20 it says and when Jesus saw their faith he said unto him man thy sins are forgiven thee and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying who is this which speaketh blasphemies who can forgive sins but God alone Folks I want you to see something here I want you to see how easy it is To talk yourself out of the truth of God's word They began to reason Why? Why not just wait and see what happens? Why not just sit there and mind your own business And watch for a little bit And see what this miracle worker does But instead they began to reason among themselves I'm sure the murmurings went from one end of the room to the other. And they said, who is this guy which speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, what reason ye in your hearts? In other words, why are you questioning this? Which is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk? Well, what's the answer to that? which is easier to say on the surface it seems like they're easy, equally easy but if you understand that jesus is talking about backing up his words with power then it becomes a different issue see it's, for us it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't see what happens there there's no visible evidence that we would look at if somebody came to the altar to give their heart to the lord and we said receive jesus as your savior Now your sins are forgiven. We can't see any difference in their lives for the most part. And in many cases it will take several days, maybe even a week, maybe longer for somebody's decision that they made, the new birth that they entered into to really affect their lives. So for us it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. We don't have any responsibility then. But the real place, the real place of power is to say you're healed from your sickness. So Jesus asked the question, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Verse 24, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed and glorified God and were filled with fear saying we have seen strange things today. Now the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 wherefore as by one man's sin talking about Adam's sin in the garden of Eden wherefore as by one man's sin death entered the world by sin and passed upon all men. In other words, it was the law of sin and death that came into being that would hold mankind and the world itself in bondage as a result of Adam's sin. We've got another example of that over in John chapter 9 where Jesus comes and his disciples come upon a man that was born blind and they asked the question, They said, Who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? See, they knew that sin was the root cause of sickness. And Jesus doesn't dispute that. He said, neither one. It was neither this man's sin nor his parents' sin. But I'm sin of God to do the works of God while it's still day. The night comes when no man can work. And so he did the works of God by healing the man that was blind. God wasn't the one that made him sick or made him blind. The devil is the one that does that. But Jesus worked the works of God in his life by making a little mud spitting on the ground making a little mud pack putting it in his eye and telling him to go wash off in the pool of Siloam and he came back seeing well if they knew that sin was the root cause of sickness in John chapter 9 they'd have to know that sin is the root cause of sickness in, where are we Luke chapter 5 the Pharisees would know that too So when Jesus says, which is easier to say for the Pharisees, they believe it's easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now they don't claim to have the power to do that. They don't really even believe the power Jesus has to do that comes from God. But for them, it's easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But Jesus, knowing that, Prove something to them if they were willing to see it. Notice what he said. That you may know. Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy. I say unto thee. Arise and take up thy couch. And go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them. And took up that whereon he lay. And departed to his own house glorifying God. In other words jesus is saying the power to forgive sin breaks the hold of the bondage of sickness and disease the power to forgive sin makes the sick whole it's all the same because sin is the root cause of sickness and disease now that doesn't mean it's individual sin doesn't mean personal sin and that's what jesus was telling his disciples in john chapter 9 It wasn't this man's sin that caused him to be born blind. It wasn't his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind. Well, then whose sin was it? It was Adam's sin. It was Adam's sin that opened the door to sickness and disease in the earth. But the same power that heals the sick is the power that forgives sin. Well, folks, if you look at the Bible and follow closely what the Bible tells us about the sacrifice of Jesus The same blood that was shed to pay the price for sin was the blood that was shed to pay the price for sickness and disease. It's all the same as far as God's concerned. Now the receiving of those things may manifest in different ways. See salvation or what we know of as the new birth coming into the family of God. That's an instantaneous thing that takes place. The healing of the body is not necessarily instant in every case. Sometimes it is, and we seem to magnify those times more than others. But not all healing is instantaneous, even as we saw with Jesus. The ten lepers were cleansed as they went. That wasn't an instant healing. And the nobleman's son began to amend from the hour Jesus said, Go your way. Well, beginning to amend means he started getting better so that wasn't an instantaneous thing either but the thing that puts both forgiveness of sins and healing of the physical body healing from sickness and disease the thing that puts both of those in motion is exactly the same and that is believing what the Bible said that Jesus has done for us let's look at another Look at Matthew chapter 8. Verse 5 And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, thy servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Now, the nobleman's son, the nobleman's situation, the sickness that was attacking his son, was a different situation entirely. Jesus knows that if he can't get the, nobleman's, or the nobleman um, to believe, then it wouldn't make any difference whether he goes down there or not. That's not the same case with the centurion. Jesus willingly says, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof. But speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to thy servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now here's two times where Jesus is marveling because of somebody's faith. One time in Mark chapter 6, he marvels because of the lack of faith of the people in the city of Nazareth. He marveled at their unbelief. Here he's marveling at the centurion's faith. Now, what's he marveling at? What's he saying is so great or admirable about the centurion's faith that's unlike anybody else that he's found in Israel up to that time? The centurion is willing to take it just on his word. Now, what does that imply? Doesn't that imply that most people want more than that? Doesn't that imply that most of the people in Jesus' ministry? We're looking for some kind of physical touch or looking for some kind of evidence. It must be something along that line because otherwise the centurion's faith wouldn't be singled out and Jesus wouldn't magnify it as being out of the ordinary. Jesus goes on when he says, I haven't found this faith, no, not in Israel. He tells us about this thing called faith. He said, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, he's saying you don't have to be a Jew to develop great faith, the same kind of faith that he marveled at with the centurion. The Gentiles are just as capable of developing the kind of faith that causes, caused Jesus to marvel in this instance as the centurion did. In fact, he is a Gentile. And so Jesus said unto the centurion, Go your way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. In other words, he's identifying something about the centurion. The centurion came to him in faith. It wasn't anything that Jesus had to do to stimulate or to create faith in this individual. That's in contrast with the nobleman's Uh, the nobleman's lack of faith in John chapter 4. Jesus has got to get the nobleman to believe something or else it wouldn't matter whether he goes down to his house or not. He's got to give him something to believe in. And the nobleman did. The nobleman believes what he said. Again, he said, either go your way and your son will be whole or he said, go your way, your son is already whole. Now, if he said your son is already whole or your son is well, something to that effect, then he's got to be speaking in faith. He has to be speaking in faith, expecting the father's actions in obedience to what Jesus told him to do would be the kind of faith that would spark the results of healing. And that's exactly how it turned out. Now let's look at some other examples of this same type thing too. Notice in every case it's the spoken word. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. And it came to pass as Peter, verse 32, it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all the quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. In other words, he's been crippled for eight years. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sarah and saw him and turned to the Lord. Now you've got Peter doing exactly the same thing that Jesus did. Peter, who was an eyewitness at each one of these accounts that we've read from, who was present in each one of these situations. Now you've got Peter doing exactly the same thing. Folks, we need to realize that the Word of God is the power of God. Psalm 107 verse 20 says, God sent His Word and healed us. He sent His Word and healed us. Now we know Jesus is the Word made flesh, and so you could certainly apply that to Jesus, but that's not the only application there is. The Word of God is the healing power of God. The word of God is always anointed. It's never void of power. And for that reason, Isaiah 55:11 says, my word shall not return unto me void. Void of what? God said the word shall not return void of power, but it will always accomplish what it was sent to do and prosper in the area that the word covers. In other words, healing scriptures always produce healing. The power of God is always on healing scriptures to produce healing. Now whether or not it does produce healing depends on the faith or the willingness of the individual, the recipient to to take hold of. If they're willing to believe in their heart and say with their mouth or operate in this thing called faith. But the word always has power. I think that's the reason why Jesus marveled at the unbelief of Nazareth. One of the things he said, I think it's Luke that brings this out more clearly and distinctly in Luke chapter 4. One of the things that Jesus said is, I know he's speaking to the crowd after identifying himself as being the anointed one, and really he uses a messianic scripture from Isaiah 61 that everybody in the synagogue, particularly the the, uh, rabbi, everybody there would recognize that Jesus is saying, The scripture that speaks to the Messiah is uh, talking about me. He said, this day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And the people start to murmur. They start to wonder. And they said, how can this guy be the Messiah? We know who his parents are. The Messiah is to be born of a virgin. But we know Mary and Joseph who lived here in our town. We know of his brothers and his sisters who are here now with us. He can't be the Messiah. Jesus continues. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I should do. You want me to do the same works, the same miracles, the same healing works that you've heard that I did in Capernaum. You want me to do those here. And if they'd been willing to believe what he said, he could have done those same things there. So here's Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth reading Messianic scriptures and saying they apply to him. He knows they've heard of the healings and the miracles that have taken place in Capernaum. But still the people won't believe. Still the people won't believe. I know I've said this a couple of times already, but that's what I think is so significant about the story of the nobleman and his son. Because whether Jesus goes down to where his son is, his physical presence or the power of the anointing that's on him is no guarantee that the son will be made whole. But for the father to believe, that brings the guarantee of the results. So Jesus had to do something to spur him to believe. What does he have to do to get you and I to believe? we'd like to answer that and say oh we believe we're in complete faith the same kind of faith as the centurion and I hope that's true for you and me both but folks unless God can get us to move from the place of unbelief to the place of faith it doesn't matter how powerful God is it doesn't matter what miracle working power the word of God contains Jesus said to the Pharisees on one occasion, he said, you make the power of God of none effect by your traditions. In other words, he's saying because of the things that you choose to believe in instead of what the word says, you strip the word of God of power or the available power that should and could work in your own life. I think of that scripture and look around at the modern day church And I see a lot of the same thing. There's a lot of traditions that people have replaced for the word. There's a lot of ideas and doctrines of men that people choose to believe instead of what the word says. And it robs the word of God of power. Now, folks, that word of God, any and every word of God, contains the power of God to such a degree that it created the universe. There is nothing more powerful in all this earth than the word of God except unbelief. Unbelief can strip the word of God of every semblance of power, of every ounce of power, if you will, if we look at it that way. Even in Jesus' case, and if it was this way for Jesus, how much more would it be for us? Jesus had the spirit without measure There was no limit to the power that he had available to him. But even when he was in his hometown of Nazareth, he was kept from using the power for its intended purpose to bless mankind. The unbelief of the people stripped the word of God of the power that's inherent in it. Now, the people wanted miracles. That's why Jesus said what he did about Capernaum. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that you want me to do the same miracles and the same healings that took place in Capernaum. Well, that's what the people wanted. That's what Jesus wanted too. If God was willing to use his power and display his power for healing miracles in Capernaum, since he's no respecter of persons, he'd want the same thing for Him in Nazareth or want the same thing for Jerusalem or want the same thing for any other city or village God wasn't the one putting restrictions on where the power would work the people did that the people did that I think the centurion coming to Jesus I think there's something that the scripture must not tell us the way that the centurion presented himself to Jesus must have been in some way that Jesus assumed Instantly, that I can get something done with this guy. This guy came in faith. And what marveled, what made Jesus marvel, what caused him to identify great faith on the part of the centurion was the fact that the centurion said, Your physical presence is not necessary. The power is in your spoken word. You have authority over sickness and disease. So just speak the word only. Speak the word only. Folks, that's the kind of faith that makes Jesus marvel. If he's going to marvel at us, I sure would rather it be marveling at our faith rather than our unbelief, wouldn't you? Well, the kind of faith that Jesus marveled at in the centurion is the kind of faith that says, speak the word only. All I need is the word. He sent his word and healed them. All I need is the word of God. Now, in the centurion's case, He didn't know what Jesus' word would be or what Jesus' word was in a general sense. He needs needs Jesus to speak the word of health for his servant in order for it to be so. We don't need that because the Bible is the word of God that's declared that Jesus has already taken our sins, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We already have full information, full knowledge of the fact that Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease when he hung on the cross same blood that was shed to pay the price for sin was shed to pay the price for sickness and disease same freedom from sin is the freedom we have from sickness and disease because of the work of Jesus speak the word only and my servant will be healed speak the word only Look at one other example with me. Look to Acts chapter 3. Verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something of them or from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give, such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now the Bible goes on to tell us that there were 5,000 people that got saved that day as a result of that one healing. But I want you to read again with me the beginning of this because I want to point out a couple of things. Here's the guy at the beautiful gate asking alms, begging for money. Verse 3, it says, they saw He saw, the crippled man saw Peter and John about to go into the temple and asked him for money. And then Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. Does this not imply that Peter and John are about to walk by this guy? The crippled guy that's begging for money sees Peter and John about to go in. So he asked him something. He didn't see Peter and John coming toward him. He saw Peter and John on his way on their way to the temple. And it was only when the man requested them, Peter and John to give him money that Peter stopped and fastened his eyes on him. And then what took place was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. But that manifestation of the Holy Ghost that brought about healing, and I, 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 need to, I guess I need to make this comment. If you look in the book of Acts at the works that God used Peter in, they're very similar works Peter had more crippled people healed than anything else he may have had a gift of healing in that regard we see in Acts chapter 3 where Jesus healed a cripple where Peter healed a cripple rather we see and just read in Acts chapter 9 where he healed a guy that had been crippled for 8 years we've got record of where they brought people in the streets and laid them on cots and pads And that were healed when the shadow of Peter passing by overshadowed them. Now that's different ways for a gift of healing to work. And the Bible says there are diversities of operations. But each of those three instances identified Peter who seems to have something extra in the area of healing cripples and those with palsy. Now there's something about gifts of healings that compared with the gift of faith sometimes make it hard to tell which one is in operation. Maybe sometimes it's a combination of both. But Peter either had a gift of healing in the area of healing cripples or he had the gift of faith in operation that caused these things to take place. And if you read further, when Peter and John are taken before the Jewish council, The religious leaders, Peter identifies that it was the faith that was by him, not just faith in him, but the faith that was by him, talking about by Jesus himself, is what made that man whole. He may be referencing the gift of faith. He may be saying the faith that I had to use, the faith that was made available to me to heal this crippled guy in Acts chapter 3 was by Jesus himself. Again, it's one of those things where we can't be absolutely sure one way or the other. But it had to be one or the other because that was the primary way that God used him. We can't find any places where the blind were healed by Peter. But we've got several examples where people that were crippled were healed. But it looks to me like Peter and John are about to pass this guy by. They're on the way into the temple. The cripple at the beautiful gate is arresting them, slowing them down by asking an alms. And then that's when the Holy Ghost moves. Now whether he moves through a gift of faith or whether he moves through a, gift of, a special gift of healing, four cripples we don't know for sure, but we know what the end results were. Peter fastened his eyes on him with John and said, look on us. And he gave heed unto him, unto them, Peter and John both, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up, stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Is this the first time Peter and John have seen this guy? It says he was late daily at the gate of the temple, called beautiful. It tells us that Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So they're in the habit of going there every day. I wonder how many days they passed by this guy without this taking place. There's no doubt they've seen each other. The crippled guy may not know Peter and John, but everybody that goes into the temple knows about the crippled guy. He's so well known, probably because he's been there for such a length of time that everybody in the city knows him or knows who he is. But suddenly something happened something that neither one of the people involved were expecting. I'm sure Peter wasn't expecting anything because if he had been then the Bible would have done us a disservice by not telling us that Peter had either had a vision or something and was headed straight for him to minister the healing power of God to him. This is something that seems to happen at the spur of the moment. And it happens not because of what Peter and John did. It happens because of what the crippled guy did. The cripple guy initiated this by asking Peter and John for money. And then the Holy Ghost moved. See, the cripple guy thinks his greatest need is money. The Holy Ghost gave him something that was worth a whole lot more than that. Such as I have, give ID. I love that. Such as I have, give ID. They knew what they had. They had the healing power of God. They had the power of the resurrected Christ. Did they have something more than you have? They may have had experience, more experience than what we have, more experience with the things that belong to them, certainly more experience with walking with Jesus for the three years in his earthly ministry. But they didn't have any more of God than you have. They didn't have any more of God than I have. When did the Holy Ghost quit moving like that? He never has. He's never quit moving like that. I believe he's just looking for a people that will be willing to be used in this manner. And folks, i got to tell you, I believe with all of my heart that that's going to be one of the great manifestations of the spirit of god in these last days where things start happening in the marketplace in the streets not just in churches i believe there are a lot of things that'll happen with churches i believe and have been praying for years and have my faith out on something that john lake used to pray that healing would flow like a river and salvation would rise as the tide I believe that that's going to be a part of the work of the church in the last days. I believe there are going to be signs and wonders and miracles in church services that will cause people to come to us. But I also believe that the Holy Ghost will send us out to them. Can you imagine how just a couple of those things would turn the world upside down? Well, here in Acts chapter 3, that one simple example of the power of God How long did it take? Less than a minute. From the time Peter and John said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. Reach out, take the guy's hand, lift him up a little bit. Strength returns to his feet and his ankle bones. That doesn't sound like much of any time at all to me. And that one incident... Brought 5,000 people into the family of God. I'm looking for that in the last days. I'm looking not for God to bring people into us by the display of his power and the manifestation of his presence. But I'm looking for him to send us out to them with the same or greater results. And it all comes down to the word. The word that Peter spoke. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Those simple words were enough to heal a man that had been crippled maybe all of his life. I wonder if the word can still do the same thing. I wonder if the word still produces the same results today. Thank God it does. Thank God it does. Say it with me. The Word of God is full of life and power. That's what the Bible says. It says that the Word of God is full of life and power. What kind of power? Delivering power to those that need to be delivered. Healing power to those that need to be healed restoring power to those that need to be restored power for whatever you and I need power for whatever the world needs one simple word of God look at how simple it was for Jesus to tell the man with palsy your sins are forgiven look how easy it was to tell the man who had palsy arise take up your bed and walk Folks, these are things that are taking place in a matter of seconds. Just a matter of a few seconds changed the course of people's lives. God's still in the life-altering business. I believe we're coming to a day where these things are going to be commonplace. I believe they're going to be in such manifestation that we're not going to have a chance to sit around and say, Well, here's how it happened i will just say God moved. Such as I have, give I thee. We need to come to the place where we know what we have. We'll never be able to give somebody something unless we know what it is. We'll never be able to give something to somebody that we don't have. But thank God we've got the Creator's life, life force, residing on the inside of us. The Bible says Jesus is a quickening spirit. And His very presence on the inside of us quickens us to do the works that Jesus did. Jesus said we would. He said the same works that I do shall you do also and even greater works shall you do because they go into my Father. Isn't it going to be fun when we start talking about what those greater works were? Not some theory, not some th- theoretical thing. Well, here's what I think greater works are. But when we come back and say here's what God did, we'll look at each other and say that's a greater work that must be one of those greater works Jesus talked about and it won't be according to our doctrine it won't be according to our theory it won't be according to a religious creed or directive it'll just simply be the work of the Holy Ghost that's what Peter had to tell the people he said why look ye on us as if by our own power or our own holiness we made this man to walk it wasn't some special relationship they had with God they had the same relationship with God that you and I'd have it wasn't some special power they had because they were apostles because the power of God is always the same and it's inherent in the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus not in somebody that holds some church office. God didn't change when all the disciples died. Jesus didn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I firmly believe we're coming to a place where that power is going to be in manifestation and in evidence. Evidence. Just like Jesus said, Jesus said one of the signs of the end, Matthew 24, I believe it is. He said, this word of the gospel shall be preached in all the world for or with a witness. The witness is the power of God on display. And he said, and then the end shall come. Well, if we put that together with some other things the Bible says about the last days, it seems to me that the precious fruit of the earth will be brought in by the word of God preached with evidence or as a witness in other words the power of God confirming the word that's preached I believe that with all my heart and I believe it even more now that we crossed into 2020 than we did when we were in 2019 we're coming into some wonderful wonderful days days of heaven on the earth in a lot of different ways Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness and for your mercy. We thank you for your healing mercy. We thank you that you sent your word and healed us. Thank you, Father, that the prayer of faith saves and heals the sick. And you, Lord, raise them up. Thank you that your word is never void of power it never returns to you absent of power but it always accomplishes that which you sent it to do and works in the area that the word was given thank you Father that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus and thank you Lord that we're coming into a day where the precious fruit of the earth is revealed the precious fruit of the earth is reaped among other things, by signs and wonders and miracles. Father, I remind you, I put you in remembrance of that which I've been praying for a long, 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 long time. I thank you that healing flows through our church like a river and that salvation rises as the tide. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much for being part of our church family. We love you. Have a great week.